Happy Thursday, everybody. Man, today's episode is fantastic. I loved the interview. I'm sure you will find it both inspiring and equipping as well. Listen, leadership has felt pretty uncertain and divisive in this past year. Can I get an amen? Uh, Definitely more than I've experienced ever before in my ministry and the future. Man, it just is not much clearer. How do you make decisions when the future isn't predictable and your team has so many different opinions? If you're looking for clarity on how to make decisions to advance your mission here in 2021, if you're looking for how to change quickly to meet the constantly changing landscape, if you're looking for team buy-in on every decision so you're not carrying the load alone, then I want you to check out Kerry Newhoff, a friend and also today's sponsor, his brand new and free resource. It's called the Pivot Ready Cheat Sheet. The free cheat sheet will give you a framework that is to really help you think through about how to be effective and resilient in this season to help you make decisions and take action. To get access, all you need to do is go to pivotreadycheatsheet.com to get your copy. Again, this is a free framework for you that effective and resilient leaders are using to make decisions and to move forward, to take action. To get access, free access, all you need to do is go to pivotreadycheatsheet.com. All one word to access your copy. That's pivotreadycheatsheet.com. All right, let's jump in with today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have tuned in. You're going to be in for a real treat today. You know, every week on the podcast, we bring you a church leader to not only inspire you, but also to equip you. And today is going to be no exception. We've got Pastor Renaud Vanderite from a fantastic church, Mosaic Church in Winter Garden, Florida. Uh, welcome to the show, Pastor. Hey, Rich. Thanks so much. It's so good to be with you today and so excited to spend a little bit of time talking through the realities of the insanity of ministry and how we can (laughs) do that in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So super excited to be here. I'm so glad that you've uh, that you've tuned in or you're or part of the show. So super glad for that. Well, I wonder if we could start, could you tell us a little bit about Mosaic? Kind of give us uh, a sense of the church, a bit of, you know, the history, that sort of thing. Give us a, a, a bit of a thumbnail there. Yeah, sure. So uh, Mosaic is uh, 18 years old. I had the incredible privilege of being a part of the planting team, uh, really meaning my wife and I drove to Orlando, Florida, went to a swimming pool, met some people and said, we're starting a church. So, um, (laughs) and so really have had the incredible privilege of watching Mosaic really go from birth all the way to where she is today. Uh, Mosaic uh, over the 18 years, the first probably three to four years, uh, like most churches, you know, we were just trying to figure out what it meant to be the church and what it meant to uh, sustain a journey of ministry. We learned a tremendous amount in those early years. We probably remained under 100 people for those first few years, and so kind of did a lot of that journey. Um, After that, the church started growing for a number of different reasons, which we can certainly talk some about, but uh, it wasn't really something we pursued. I came from big church ministry in my past and had some, I think, disillusionment on the pace and speed and constant obsession with numbers. Mm, And so mm. I really was like, man, God, keep this church small. uh, And if she gets over 300, I'm out. And um, God had other plans. And so um, (laughs) the church just kind of over time started growing. I think 
its growth was really born out of this concept we had that we really wanted to be a church that served at the cost of surviving, that we wanted to be a church that demonstrated our passion for God and his passion for people. And so our obsession was really, man, how can we serve each other as believers and how can we serve the community? And then out of that, I think this missional foundation, the church began to grow and grow and grow. Um, Over the next uh, 12 years, uh, the church grew into hundreds and then thousands and Um, You know, we've gone through a number of iterations through that growth. We've learned a tremendous amount. We've made lots of mistakes along the way. Uh, We've learned some things through the mistakes we've made. We've learned some things through the things I think we accidentally got right. And then Mm. we've learned some things through the things I think we got right because we learned from others before we tried them. And so it's been a combination of all of that. Uh, The church now um, is uh, a church that continues to be missional. Uh, adoption and foster care is a giant part of our story. I'm an adoptive dad. So mm. I have four adopted kids and four biological kids. Uh, they're all teenagers wow. and young adults now. So our house is insane. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um, the church also, we have over 200 kids adopted into forever homes and we have hundreds of children being fostered constantly. So that's a really big giant part of our church. And then of course, mm. special needs uh, kind of comes with that. So children with exceptional challenges are part of the adoption and foster world. And then once Mm -hmm. you can do that really well, then families with children with special needs come to your church because they're like, wait, my kid can actually go into kids ministry here and not be disrupted. And so we've had to become very good at that. So that's probably um, just in a quick nutshell, the the story of Mosaic. But we're just trying to make the gospel beautiful best we can as God allows us to steward whatever he brings our way. Oh, I love that. So many, you, you did an incredible job compressing down uh, what an am- amazing story. So many things we could talk about. I- I'd love to go back. You uh, expressed some reticence around leading in a large church. I chuckled at that point because that that God has ultimately, that's what's happened in your community. Yes. You've ended up going. Yeah. I think there are a lot of church leaders who frankly uh, are in a similar spot where they feel this tension of... Um, you know, maybe choosing growth over something else. Maybe it's being a gospel-centered church, or they feel like if if we're going to grow, we're it's like we're going to have to compromise. We're going to have to give something up in order to do that. And one of the things, there's a lot I love about your church, but one of the things I love about Mosaic is uh, you really do seem to be a healthy church that is also growing both those things at the same time, which is amazing. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that, pull apart that tension that sure. you have felt, and then how have you experienced that as leading uh, in your church? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think that there's a number of components to that, but three come to mind specifically in terms of mm-hmm. uh, what we've learned along the way and have had to navigate. Um, I, I think one is that along the way, uh, we really constantly, and when I say constantly, I mean 18 years straight up without compromise, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. have talked all the time about working at health and facilitating growth rather than working at growth and facilitating health. And so it's a mindset that sounds easy, but it's incredibly difficult because growth in our cultural context in every sector, business, nonprofit, uh, church is always this idea of, man, the bigger, the better, the faster, the better. And and I would say that a biblical theology doesn't suggest that. Um, It actually suggests more of an ecosystem reality of big and small work together. We'll get to that because that's one of the three components. But I think the first is that we just had to be very committed to saying, if at any point in time, growth diminishes health, then we have to stop growth for the sake of health, not the other way around. I think a lot of times the fear of stopping momentum 
is this giant fear. So if man, if it's growing fast and there's momentum, no matter the consequence, keep that momentum going. And I'm like, no, no, no. If the health is diminishing because of that momentum, then slow the momentum or even stop it for a season because growth, if it is without health, will never be ultimately sustainable. And that's why we see so many churches, I think they get larger or large, and then there's a giant crash and burn uh, or a massive staff turnover or whatever it might be. So we worked at that. That was a big giant thing. And I think that's been key to our health. Yeah. Do you have an example of uh, in your history where you've had to, where you felt like you've made that conscious decision to slow the momentum or to be like, hmm, we're, we're going to pick uh, health over growth in this season? Can you think of a time where that's- Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have a number of those spots, but one that particularly comes to mind, uh, this was early on in our story where we were a few years in, we just moved into a new facility and we were probably 80 or 90 people at the time. And mm-hmm. over a summer, we grew from 80 or 90 people to over 200 people, j- just like that. Right. So now we're wow. rolling into uh, the, the, I mean, the Super Bowl season, right, of, of yes. church uh, year. You've got Thanksgiving, you've got Christmas, you've got Easter. I mean, that those are the big boys. And so, yeah. man, from a momentum standpoint, summer is your dead time. So if you sure. grow over the summer... Then you roll into the fall and you and you strategically push. You could double, triple, quadruple your church just in that strategic move. Well, what had happened is a lot of the DNA that made us who we were um, was starting to dilute because we had doubled in size. And so all these new people are here and we can't keep mm. up with that. So we literally told our people that fall uh, as we entered into the Thanksgiving season please don't invite your friends here. Like like what we're asking you, either go with them to their church if they're neighbors and they're not going to church, ask them what church they want to attend and go with them, or just don't invite them unless God absolutely tells you otherwise. Because we can't afford another doubling in size. We will lose our DNA. So literally, I, I remember calling the newspaper, the local paper at the time, you know, they have that little free section where you can put yes. your church's information in. Right. And I called and I asked them to pull it. Uh, right. right before Christmas. And they're like, no, no, <laughs> oh, sir, you don't, you don't understand. It's free. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. We need to hide, basically. Now, I'm not suggesting that was a brilliant idea, hiding like that, or even good theology. But it was a choice we made. And I think it's those kinds of choices that we've made along the way, where we've kind of said, man, listen, uh, how do we make sure that we are working at health so in such a committed way that if growth is the payment, the price we pay, that that's okay? Um, we've done that on several occasions, even with buildings where we've squeezed into buildings. At one point, we were running seven gatherings in a building, and we could have jumped to a new one. And you know the philosophy of if you build it, they will come. Uh, you know, we just abandoned that, and we're like, listen, let's squeeze every inch out of a place so we can steward our resources well and become healthy before we mm-hmm. launch into bigger. So we've made lots of decisions along the way where I think health was elevated at the compromise of growth. And what we found in that journey is that, man, things kept growing after we foundationally put God Health in place. Yeah, I love that. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? So as as you have obviously seen tremendous growth over the last few years, you've been you know, one of those churches that's been flagged as one of the fastest growing in the country. And so you've obviously come to a place where as a leadership team, you're no longer pulling the advertising out of the paper, <laughs> you know, something's yeah. working. So yeah. what, what, what has shifted in your own thinking? How are you leading differently now that as you're seeing growth, what are some of those things that you've been able to do to, like you say, continue to work at health, even as you're facilitating uh, the growth that you're seeing in this, this yeah. season? 
That's a great question. I, you know, I think um, ultimately uh, th- there's two things that have helped, and they're actually the other two things even in the in the first question that came to mm-hmm. mind. One mm-hmm. is that um, we have had to remain committed to constant exposure, uh, sort of the idea of the 360, you know, the 360 evaluations. Um, I think a lot of times in the in the pace of growth, especially when things are growing fast, you're moving fast. Things seem to be going very well on the outside or on the surface. You're assuming they're going well behind the curtain, um, but I think those assumptions are often troubling because th- there is there is no version in which something grows fast that there isn't things that slip through the cracks or things that do not get the attention that they need. And then over time, that starts eroding health mm. and you don't even notice it. And unless you're willing to have regular exposure, um, you're going to run into trouble. You know, we, we just discovered this again recently over the last three or four years, we've grown fast again. Uh, we had 2020, which was an insane year for everybody. Welcome to the twilight zone. Um, and so uh, lots of change, lots of growth. And we really hadn't been doing a great job of doing evaluations regularly uh, internally. Mm. So we just had a giant evaluation done November of 2020, got an outside organization to come in and like evaluate our leadership and infrastructure oh, top well. to bottom. Yeah. Yep. And we found a lot of cobwebs in in, mm. in in our in our rooms. I mean, it wasn't like oh everything's going great. Yeah, there yeah, were leadership <laughs> deficits in me that we discovered uh, where I have an aversion for conflict, or I have a dysfunctional optimism. I I I I, I make promises I I can't always keep because I'm on the move and I say I'll do this, but then I don't get to it and I don't follow up well, and I so my reliability starts eroding, and the staff are feeling that, and and man, so we caught this early. So we can actually go do something about it. And so we're working very hard this year to remedy some of that. I've got some great coaches that are jumping into my life and other people and the elders are pushing me into some spaces to grow and learn as we are also putting some new infrastructure in place, even as we speak. So the the issue is one has to realize you don't attain this place where you're really big and you're really awesome and you're really cool. And so therefore you don't have problems anymore or you don't have issues anymore. And the only way you can discover those is by regular commitment to exposure. Light is our friend. It is not our enemy. Yes. Uh, so I, I, for, first of all, um, you just blew through a, wh- a whole bunch of fairly transparent things about your own leadership that I, I know listeners are looking in, listening and thinking, Wow, like he must actually live this out because you know you're on a podcast talking to however many couple thousand five six thousand people, and you're rolling through like, hey, here's some issues that I'm having that obviously have come out of you know internal processing. I I want to both encourage you for that level of transparency, and to our dear listeners, man, lean in and listen here, friends. Here's a leader who does not need to expose himself to uh, like you're saying the light of uh, you know external. Uh, feedback like that, and you're 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 living that out, which I just think is great. I want to I want to highlight that it's a little bit of like congratulating someone on their humility. It's a little bit strange, uh, but but I I appreciate you doing that. Talk more about uh, how that exposing, uh, really inviting light into your life, how sure. that's changed and shifted your your leadership. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this has been something we've been committed to for a long time. Like I said, and, and uh, forgotten along the way sometimes in our speed and pace to do lots of exposure. But mm. it, it, it philosophically and even theologically is a commitment we've had from the beginning. Um, and I think that uh, when when you are able to say, the light is my friend, it is not my mm. enemy. Exposure is my friend. Because this is our fear, right? I mean, I think a lot of pastors and a lot of ministry leaders live in the fear that on the stage, I have this persona 
that everybody assumes is real of me because my front stage looks a certain way. I've written books, I'm speaking, or if you're a smaller church, you know, uh, everyone knows they can count on me, this and that. But my backstage is as messy as the next guy. And I'm not talking mm. about even at this stage, you know, the big giant things. I'm I'm addicted to porn. I'm having an affair. I'm just talking about like, man, I can't seem to get my marriage quite right. Or I, I scream at my mm. kids because they drive me nuts. Well, I can't tell anyone because, man, if they find out that I'm not awesome, then what is that going to mean? And we've just been committed from the very beginning to say, hey, I'm living the same life you are, man. Like I've got, I've got a wife and kids who I don't like all the time as well, or rather some of the time. And you know, sometimes it feels like all the time. Um, I'm also trying to figure out how to bring the gospel to bear in my home and don't get it right uh, a lot of the time. I'm also not great at leading devotions. We don't have a home where we wake up in the morning, we read the Bible, we pray together, we sing a hymn, we roll out, we come back, we hug. No, I mean, most mornings I'm screaming at my kids to try to get them in the car because they're psychotically trying to defy me in every move because they, they're tired. You know, like I'm living the same life as you. And so when that that kind of level of just like, listen, if we can't do life at that level plays into the workplace, what it allows for is to say, man, come and expose. Because, you know, Ephesians says it beautifully. It says, um, always bring the light, always bring the exposure because mm-hmm. then there's freedom in, in light, mm-hmm. there's freedom. The enemy plays only in the darkness. Secrets and shadows should be our greatest fear as, as ministry mm. leaders. But secret and secrets and shadows That's feel so like good. our safest place. They really do. Because we're like, as long as I can keep this behind the curtain, and no one will know. And that's why for me, I'm like, whether I'm on a podcast or writing in a book or standing on a stage, I'm like, you want to know my deficits? The sooner I tell all of them to you, the sooner I'm free. The sooner I'm free. Because then there's nothing for you to go find out. And and so I, I tell people all the time, bring a reporter in my home, have them see the mess of my home and then write about it. And all my congregants will say, well, you already told us all that. That's nothing new. <laughs> That's all old news. <laughs> uh, it's old news. And so, yeah, yeah, and then what that does is it keeps us from making the giant mistakes of ending up in an affair or ending up addicted to something because we're so exhausted, so spent, so tired, and we've been hiding for so long that we don't even know how not to hide. And that's why we see the devastating landscape of pastoral ministry uh, leaders, because they are so afraid of exposure uh, for the little things that by the time the big things are happening, man, it's it's just all shadows and darkness. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I think you've given um, just so much value there. And so, um, you know, you've helped us unlock uh, what, you know, we see the wreckage that happens in so many ministry leaders lives and you know, none of us get into this because we're hoping that that, that will end up a sure. story, uh, big or small, but that just real practical. You said there were three things. So what was yeah. the third thing? I'd love to get so back third, to that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it all ties together. So the third thing yeah. is this, um, you, you know, uh, one day I was sitting in my backyard and we, we have some, just a little bit of space in our backyard. And so we have some oak trees and we have some shrubs and, and we have some gardens where we grow tomatoes and different things. And then we have some little flowers that kind of grow in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the field out there. And uh, it was amazing to me because I was looking at these three different contexts, the little wildflowers, these shrubs, the medium sized mm-hmm. tomato plant type stuff, and then these giant oak trees. And I was asking mm-hmm. myself, like, which one is better? And, mm-hmm. and the reality is in, in the space of, of nature, none of them are better. They're all important and they all count on each other for mm-hmm. different things. So if my backyard was just a whole bunch of giant oak trees, it would it would be a, a, a terrible backyard. 
because one, nothing would grow because there'd be no sun getting through. And two, you wouldn't see anything because it would just be giant oaks. On the other hand, if there were no oak trees, the wildflowers would die under the exposure of the sun and they would have no leaves to fertilize them so they wouldn't grow. And the shrubs, they wouldn't do well if the oak trees weren't there and the wildflowers didn't bring the bees to pollinate the shrubs so that the fruit Mm. can grow. So here's what I learned in that. I think we're so obsessed with measuring the health of a church by the size of a church, but that's not the Mm. truth. The Bible doesn't say the bigger the church, the healthier the church. It says the more fruitful the church, the healthier the church. Mm. And we have redefined biblical fruit as growth and size rather than uh, discipleship and evangelism. And, Mm. And so when a church is fruitful, there, I mean, you know this statistic, right? I mean, 95 plus percent of churches are small in our nation, which means that in God's ecosystem, the majority of churches are actually small. But we've created this weirdness that says, if you are a big church pastor, you're a better leader, you're smarter, you're faster, you're more strategic, and you should be on the podcasts and you should write the books because clearly you know something everybody else doesn't. But that's not a truth. The truth is each of us are given a plant to care for. Some of us are caring for an oak tree. And when you care for an oak tree, it's very different than caring for a wildflower. And when you care for a tomato plant, it's very different than caring for an oak tree. I realized that if I can just come to a place in my life where I'm content with whatever plant I've been given, God made me a certain way and he gave me a certain plant. My, mine happens to be an oak tree. And I know everybody says, well, that's nice for you because you got the oak tree. We all want the oak tree. And I'm like, trust me, you don't. Yes. So. because the oak tree has unique challenges to it that the wildflower doesn't. And here's the other thing we have to realize. You don't have hundreds of oak trees in the backyard. You have one or two, and then you have hundreds of wildflowers. And so in any ecosystem, you need a bunch of little churches that are variety and color and wonder. You need a couple of medium-sized churches that are shrubbery and fruit and beauty, and you need a few oak trees. And if they all stop seeing each other as suspect, The little ones are going, we don't grow big because big is bad. And the big ones go, the little ones don't know what they're doing. This is how we roll in our culture, constantly looking at each other, trying to prove how the other guy's getting it wrong. And what we ought to be doing is be grateful the other guy's on the field with us. Be grateful that we have wildflowers and oak trees. And be thankful that the oak trees are dropping leaves that the little churches can, can count on and that the little churches are bringing color and variety that the oak tree doesn't have. So, so here's my thing. I shepherd an oak tree. If I think too much of myself because I shepherd an oak tree, I'm, I'm dead. I'm in debt. I'm in deep water. So the church becomes my idol. Once the church becomes my idol, I try to protect my position, which means I won't want exposure. I won't be vulnerable. And if I don't want exposure and I won't be vulnerable, then growth will override health And before you know it, all three principles fall flat. So it all starts with, do I have a right view of myself and a right view of the church I shepherd? The church isn't big because I'm awesome. The church is big because I was given an oak tree. And so now my job, like the the pastor of a small church or a medium church, is how do I steward what I've been given? How do I make a wildflower the healthiest wildflower on the planet? Or how do I make an oak tree the healthiest oak tree on the planet? And that means that in both the small and large church contexts, exposure matters. And that's what brings light and light brings clarity and clarity brings work and work brings health. Mm, love it. Well, you've given us a masterclass here in, I think, some really important concepts and um, really hard attitudes of how we lead within our church. This has been fantastic. I know there was, it feels like a generation or two 
before ours, there was a perception that um, we we wanted leaders or or we I don't even know if we ever wanted leaders, but there was like this perception that the leaders that we should follow are the ones that were untouchable. We didn't know anything about them. They, yes. they we built these walls and they were they 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 positioned themselves as superhuman, right? They positioned themselves as like, wow, that person can do everything. I love how you've painted a path for us today uh, to really think differently about that in a really critical way. You know, you've uh, you've just released a brand new book that I want to make sure people learn about. It's obviously we're we're in the neighborhood of the conversations sure. uh, in this book. It's called What Great Ministry Leaders Get Right, Six Core Competencies You Need to, su- to Succeed in Your Calling. Uh, why did you write this book? What kind of led you to the place to say, hey, I want to invest time, effort, and energy in helping church leaders through this resource? Uh, you know, the, the book was born out of um, this clarity that we gained a couple of years ago uh, in Orlando, which is where we have a church. There was a particular two-year stretch a few years ago with three significant pastoral leaders um, had crashes and burns. I mean, they fell pretty hard and they did some devastating things. And these were not uh, like, quote unquote, bad men. I mean, these were good men that loved Jesus and were, I, I, I knew some of them personally. So, yeah. so it, it was a, it was a shock wave for all of us mm-hmm. asking the mm-hmm. question, how on earth did this happen? And how, how do we know it's not going to happen to us? And as I dug into some of their stories, you know, I made the assumption that accountability was was going to be what was lacking. But the truth is what we found is they had lots of accountability structures very often. The problem with accountability is once you decide to lie, accountability is useless because I can ask you all day long, but you just don't tell me the truth. And so we started asking, what is it that was missing? And what we determined was that what was truly missing was intimacy, intimate mm-hmm. intimacy with God that slowly over time eroded, intimacy with their spouse or their family that slowly eroded an intimacy with their biblical community. They isolated from biblical community. They became untouchable. They became uh, insulated. They became hidden. And so what we what we thought was, oh my gosh, what if we worked diligently at these intimacies? If I am in love with God, like legit, like I'm in love with God and I'm in love with my spouse. It doesn't mean I like her every day, but I'm, man, she is just, I love her. And I love my biblical community, meaning I have relationship with them. They know me. I know them. I'm not going to go make a big devastating decision. I've mm. never talked to someone that said, man, I just, I just had this affair and my wife and I have never been be- doing better than ever right before the affair. Never heard that. It's always, right, right. man, we were in a hard place, right? right? So that led us to this, this thought process that said, what, what is it that's missing that um, causes these ministry leaders to become exhausted and then eventually do really, really big uh, foolish things and crash and burn. And a friend of mine, Jimmy Dodd, who leads Pastor Serve, which is a ministry for pastoral leaders who are in crisis, um, they had come up with 24 competencies that they had developed over the years that they had learned from what was missing in every pastor they dealt with that had crashed and burned. And I had a list of those 24 competencies and I loved them. I'm like, these are awesome, man. Like <laughs> all the things we were beginning to think were in there. And so Jimmy and I actually ended up connecting and and we ended up co-authoring the book together because we both have this passion to say, ministry leaders have not been taught in their seminaries and school spaces how to care for their own souls well, how to care for their own families well, how to not make the church an idol in their life and how to have really, really good friends. And because they're not being taught these things, they don't have good friends. They put ministry before their family, their relationship with God erodes and the church becomes their idol. And once that happens... 
it is just a matter of time before they crash and burn. And so this book is really a book that says, if you're not getting some of these internal backstage works right, if those habits are not a part of your life, then the front stage stuff will eventually crumble anyway. And then some of the book is, but on the front stage, you also need to get some things right. So how are you strategic in these ways? And how do you manage the growth and and health of a church? And so we've put both those things in the book. And uh, we hope that many marriages, many pastoral kids will have different experiences because of this book. I want to sit with a kid someday that's a pastor's kid. And instead of hearing horror stories about their dad being at church all the time and never being home, I want them. I want to hear great stories, and I want I want it hopefully in part to be because somebody read this book, and so I try to do that. I have eight kids, and if you talk to my eight kids today, uh, they would look at you cross-eyed if you said, "Man, I bet your dad's never home because you know he's leading a big church," and they'd be like, "What are you talking about, man? He's home too much." Right. So, and I don't say that with pride. I'm like, I've yes. worked at that because yes, I don't yes. want my kids to hate the bride of Christ and hate Jesus because I was a pastor. Yes. Oh, I, I so appreciate this. As I was, uh, you know, looking at your book, the thing that struck me was, wow, this would be a great book to go through as a leadership team. That this would be a great book that, like, hey, as we're kind of wrestling together with people, you know, that we're serving, maybe we've, you know, we've got a few staff at our church. I really thought this would be a great conversation starter and, um, you know, kind of discussion jump off point. Did you picture that as you were writing it or were you thinking more just kind of the lone leader by themselves reading it? What, what were you thinking? Of kind of yeah, I mean, it's a great, book? you know, here's the funny thing about the book. The material wasn't developed so that it could go in a book. I, I actually, I don't like writing five page papers, never have. And this was like sure. 12, five page papers for the first 12 <laughs> chapters. So never in my, in my head did I think, man, I want to write a book. What we did is we developed the material for our interns and our pastoral residents and our staff and our volunteers. So we actually have been teaching this material for years at Mosaic. It just wasn't in a book. And now that it's in a book, it's it's in a book, that's fine. But at the end of the day, we're still using it to teach our interns and our volunteers and our staff ministry leaders and our pastors. So it's not that I wrote the book with the vision of teaching others rather than just the, the pastor. We've been using it in that context all along. That's how the material was born. So I would say yes. In fact, we plan on using the content of this book to keep teaching our interns and our residents Mm -hmm. and all of our ministry leaders because we've been doing it. Yeah, not surprising at all. It comes from uh, well-worn, many years in the saddle, actually communicating with people. I would encourage folks that are listening in to pick up a copy or 10 and use these, uh, you know, to, to really spur these kind of conversations. If people want to pick up a copy of this, where should we send them? Where do we want to send them to get the, uh, to get some copies? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I, I know that Amazon has it. Uh, so yes, you can search great. it on Amazon. Um, uh, yes, you know th- these are the, these are the places I'm so ill-equipped because I'm like I'm trying to raise <laughs> eight kids and and shepherd a church, and the book's kind of a side note. And so yes, I'm assuming yes. you can get it from Moody. I'm assuming yes. you can get it in bookstores. I certainly know you can go on our website, thisismosaic.org, and go under my um, under the staff page, and I think there's a link to it there. Um, that, but that'll just link you back to Amazon. So I just suggest you search there. So, so like, dude, I, I, that's a great question. Um, I, I wish, I wish I knew, but no, it's no, out I there. I know that. Yep. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. If people are looking sure. for it, I, I would encourage them to pick up 
Uh, Renault, I really appreciate appreciate your leadership. I appreciate what you're doing as a church. Um, I, I love that you're, uh, you know, t- even taking this step, releasing this book, I think is it will be so helpful to so many. And I love that vision of, um, you know, there'll be a bunch of uh, pastor kids down the road who will be in a better spot uh, because they've they've had a chance, to, their parents have had a chance to engage uh, with this content. So thank you so much. Thank you for sure, that. Anything man. you'd like to say just as we wrap up today's episode? Man, listen, um, all of us who are in ministry are so obsessed, I think, in our culture to try to build a ministry worth following. And I would just tell you, uh, live a life worth following. That's what Paul said. Mm. Follow me as I follow Christ. And if that happens to translate into a ministry that's also pretty awesome, great. But wake up in the morning and say, am I the kind of husband or the kind of dad or the kind of um, friend or the kind of neighbor that I would want my congregants to be? And strive after that and then just go be a pastor rather than saying, what kind of ministry do I build that everybody will be enamored with and want to follow? What book do I write that everyone will want to read? Just live a life worth following because that's the biblical call instead of building a ministry worth following. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, being on the episode today. Uh, we'll, we'll send people, give us that website address again if people want to visit the church website and kind of this track with you This is more. mosaic.org. This is mosaic.org. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate you being Thanks, on the show today. Rich. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.